Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, October 1st, 2023, we continue our series titled Knowing Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. Today's sermon, God's Kingdom or Mine, will be taught to us by Pastor Bob Wade out of Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. Enjoy. The passage we're looking at this morning um, is about the first time that Jesus sends out his 12 disciples, he had more than that, but the 12 that were really close around him, it's the first time he sends them out without him. You ever had an experience like that where you know, you've always sort of been, somebody else has always been in charge and control, they do all the talking, they do the leading, they do all the, the stuff like that, and then all of a sudden it gets turned over to you? It's a big deal that they would go out and they would, you know, sort of represent the Lord and speak for the Lord. And then it also tells you what the message they were to speak. They were to go out and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, when I hear that, the first thought I think when I hear that word, you know, that that phrase there, the kingdom of God, it sort of sounds like a catch-all for something religious. You know, if you don't know how to explain it, just call it, well, it's like that kingdom of God kind of stuff. But that's not what it means. The kingdom of God is the fact that God created everything and that he sustains everything and that he desires to rule everything, including us, including our hearts, to rule over our hearts. And so before we jump too far into this, before I even stop and read the text, let me just kind of put this out here so, you know, we can be on the same page. Would you do a little quick evaluation, just an honest evaluation of you? Who rules your heart? Who rules your kingdom? Because that's really a big deal here. Now follow along with me as I read through this. Luke chapter 9 Starting with verse one, he says, and he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no bag, nor, I mean, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Now, let me just tell you why that's a big deal. Uh, A tunic there, the second tunic literally was your blanket. So he's not, he's at the, right from the beginning, he's actually telling them, you're not even going to worry. I don't even want you to worry about how you sleep. Keep going here. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all this was happening and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead and by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him, the him here being Jesus. Now, the first thing you see here, if you're looking at the passage uh, that starts off right from the beginning here in verse one and the very you know, first part of verse two is that Luke is gonna give us three verbs here as he talks about this mission that you and I have from Jesus Christ. 
He starts off and he says he called the 12. The called is the first one here. He gave them power. And then in verse two, and he sent them out. Called, gave, and sent. Those three verbs sort of uh, describe a pattern that God uses with all people who follow him. For example, in the Old Testament, if you remember the story of the children of Israel when they were you know, enslaved in Egypt, God called them out of Egypt. He gave them the promised land and then he sent them into it. He does the same thing with us. And if you know your Bible a little bit, you'll know that you and I were called to new life. That's what Ephesians chapter one tells us. Romans chapter eight will tell us the same thing. We were called to new life, to, to you know, walk away from the old things that all things would become new. We're given the Holy Spirit to empower us and we're sent into the world to be salt and light. That's our mission. You and I are, are, are on mission just as much as the 12 disciples were. We need to begin to see that it's a privilege just like them to represent him. But it's also a responsibility. It also can feel at times like it's a fearful thing because you know you and I are, tend to be people that are fearful of being rejected if I open my mouth and I say something about God. But it doesn't have to be scary. You see, the one thing you see here in verse one here is that when God calls us, he equips us. When God calls us, he equips us to do exactly what he means. The 12 here are given power, it says, and authority to heal the sick and to cast out demons. When God calls, he equips. Every time he calls us to something, he's gonna give us exactly what we need to accomplish it. Go back to verse one again, let's read it. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to cure all diseases. Now you may be reading that, you know, and this is when I was studying, I started thinking about this too. You may be wondering why we don't do exactly what the 12 did then. You know, walk from place to place and everybody you touch, you heal and, and cast out every, you know, kind of a demon. Well, it's, it's because God or Jesus hasn't personally given us his authority to do that. That doesn't mean he doesn't heal. He does still heal, but he doesn't heal just at my touch. He heals at his calling, at his time. You see, he knows things that I don't know. He knows when it's really important for us to learn how to, to come alongside someone that's hurting and sick as a church family and, and walk with them. Or, or he knows how many times someone who's going through something difficult and completely turned away from the Lord that sometimes it's that wounding that you know, turns a heart back to the place where we need Christ. We don't know those things. He does. It requires us to have faith. Now, Jesus here in Luke chapter nine is gonna give the 12 the ability to heal, not just some, but everyone. Now think about what that must have meant. Can you imagine walking in to a village and nobody in the village knows you and nobody in the village knows this Jesus guy you're talking about? There's no way of putting it out there. There was no big, no big signs by the road. There's no internet. There's no books in print that would talk about him. Then a couple of people walk in and they just start talking. Would think about it like this. If you've been over like on the beach someplace and there was a street preacher out there and he's preaching and most of us just walk right by. Imagine Jesus' disciples just talking and then all of a sudden as everybody's just walking by and nobody's paying attention he stops and he sees someone that over here that's being led because they're blind 
and they just heals him. Receive sight right now. And, the, and everybody, people are walking by going, what? What? What happened? Somebody is being carried around because, you know, their, their legs, are, you know, maybe they've got something wrong with them. Maybe they've got some paralysis or, or whatever the case may be. And someone goes over and they lay hands on them and they just say, raise up right now, walk right now in the name of Jesus. And they do. Or someone who's been sick and, and, and can't even speak and now they can speak forth. All of a sudden, all this happened and everybody has stopped going, who is this Jesus? Who is this one you're talking about that you're doing it in this name? This is a powerful moment. You know, I, I, I think about like even this food here, but I even think about the team, you know, that, that's going to Uganda. I mean, it, it, when God uses things like this, and it's an amazing way. For example, you know, we have a, a medical missions thing here that we do on a regular basis. I mean, God's blessed us enough to be completely out of debt, and we don't want to hoard money, so what happens is we, we said, hey, we're going to get involved in doing medical missions. So, you know, we made this decision to go buy a couple of eye care, you know, uh, you know whole assembly things with the big, you know, things where you crank them up and test for your eyesight and the whole bit, and the ability of the machines that can make glasses, can car carve out, you know, the lenses and the whole bit, and we train volunteers from the church, and we go. I mean, we've done it in Haiti numerous times. We do it in Mexico, and it's the most amazing thing. You watch what happens when they come in, and someone, maybe you get a, a, a grandma that hasn't seen her grandkids because everything is so blurry, and she hasn't been able to really get, you know, line up anything just exactly right for 20 years, and they do the testing on her. And she goes back home knowing that she's going to come Friday. She puts glasses on, and the first time she sees her family, she will listen to the message of Jesus. It's the little kid that can't go to school because he can't see the board. And all of a sudden, he has glasses. He can see it all. His family and him will listen to the message of Jesus. You wonder why we do these things. It's exactly why you do these things. You do these things because God uses that to open up an opportunity to tell the gospel story. Now, in this case, here in, in verse, verse one here, these healings here were temporary healings. They weren't permanent. They weren't like the ultimate healing that we have when someday when we stand before the Lord and God gives us a brand new body that will never grow old and weak and sick and all of that. These people all who were healed here all died maybe years, weeks, maybe many years later. It wasn't permanent. So what was it all about? It was all about validating the message. Now, the second thing you see here in verses two through five is the message itself. Follow along with me. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no bag, no staff, nor, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. Do you not have two tunics? In whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever you do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they are to go out and proclaim the kingdom of God. That is not, I will tell you, a message that sounds overly appealing probably to the masses. Most people would be thinking, okay, if a religious leader wanted to come and you know, give a message, wouldn't you think it'd be on hope and love and all those things like that? And yet that is the message of 12 were given. Proclaim the kingdom of God. 
You know, even in saying that, it just sounds like such an easy thing. Like no big deal. Like, oh yeah, I, I, I believe in that, but I will tell you it's way more challenging than it sounds. The kingdom of God is not a territory. It's not an island. It doesn't have walls. It doesn't have fences. It doesn't have boundaries. The kingdom of God refers to who rules over our kingdom. Who rules over our hearts. Let me give you an example of why this is important to the Lord. We're in Luke 9 right now, but very soon we'll be in chapter 10. In chapter 10, there's a story that is an incredible story where um, a lawyer comes up to Jesus the, the, the word there for him is halicus, so he was a, kind of a religious lawyer. And, and he comes up to Jesus and he asks him, trying to fool him, getting to say something wrong, and he says, hey, what's the most important thing I should be doing here? You know, what's the great commandment? The foremost one, I mean, the, the biggest. What, what, what's the most thing? And Jesus' response is, love me. The most more than anything else, with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your might. You see, this matters who, who is in charge of our hearts. It matters who rules over your hearts because that's exactly what he's saying by love me. I need to be number one in your heart. The message that the 12 were given here is that Jesus wants to rule our hearts which sounds so easy, but it's not. I mean, humans, by and large, want to rule over our own lives. We don't want to be told what to do. We don't want to be told where to go. We don't want to be, you know, have, have someone else be in charge. I mean, we're Americans, right? We don't like anybody telling us what to do. We get this. You know where all that started from? The Bible tells us it started with a guy named Lucifer, Satan. Isaiah chapter 14, before the creation of mankind, Isaiah records exactly what Lucifer said about ruling his own kingdom. Listen to his words. I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the, the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and make myself like the most high. In other words, I will make my own kingdom and I will rule in my own kingdom. That is exactly how Lucifer saw it. In fact, in Matthew chapter 4, just before the Sermon on the Mount, it tells us that the Holy Spirit led Jesus out to the wilderness to be tempted. And, and Satan tempted him a number of times. And the last temptation there, Satan looks at him and he says, if you would just bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Now, let me put this in perspective for you here, okay? Satan knows that, that God created all the kingdoms of the world and that God sustains all the kingdoms of the world. So why would he think that he could give something that he didn't create and doesn't sustain away? The same reason why we do it. None of us created the world. None of us created the, the universe at all. We don't sustain it in any possible way, but each of us want to rule our own kingdom, don't we? We think we have the right somehow to do that? 
The kingdom of God was a powerful message. It was challenging what they, they, they thought, what they expected. In Genesis chapter three, it tells us that that rebellion spread from the fallen angels to mankind. Because at that point, the devil goes and he deceives Eve. Adam just blew it. I mean, he, he just disobeyed on his own. But while they were in the garden there, and he told him this, he goes, if you would just do what you wanna do and not what God is telling you to do, you'd just be like God. You know what he's saying? Why don't you do your own kingdom? Why don't you be the king over your own kingdom? You can. You could be just like the most high. Jesus even affirmed that this is the issue with mankind. I mean, this is a human issue. In Matthew chapter six, his disciples come to him and they ask him, you know, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? Because we don't even really know. I mean, we pray all sorts of different things. Lord, give me this and that. Like, Would you teach us how you want us to pray? And so this is what he says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You catch that? Your kingdom, your will. Do we pray that? Isn't it more that our prayers are, God, would you give me the things that I want? You know, God, if I could just hit the Powerball, I could really, I could give a million. I mean, we tend to think about us being in charge of our own kingdoms. Go back to Luke chapter nine. Jesus knows this is an issue with us. He knows that human nature has never changed, that we wanna be in charge of our own lives. We wanna be the decision makers. We wanna build our own kingdom, pursue our own desires, do our own will, be free to love whoever we want, live however we want. In other words, we didn't create anything, we don't sustain everything, but I wanna rule it. That's not gonna work. This is a spiritual battle. Who rules over our kingdom? Who rules over our heart? I mean, do I live my life my way or do I live my, wife, my life Jesus' way? Is it gonna be submit to the kingdom of God or submit to the kingdom of Bob? What's it gonna be? Because it can't be both. I mean, I know that, that, that that's a game that so many of us try to play at different times, but Jesus told us in Matthew 6, 24, you can't serve two masters. You will serve one over the other. Now, the good news of God's kingdom is that God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for us and make propitiation. That's just a big religious word that means satisfaction. He made satisfaction for our sins and, and bring peace between us and God. But without that propitiation, there is no peace between us and God. No hope, no forgiveness, no relationship with Jesus. You know why? Because someone else rules my kingdom at that point. In fact, keep your finger here in Luke, and I want you to turn over to the right to Ephesians chapter two. Did you do that? Ephesians chapter two. 
Because Paul is going to describe here what life was like when we ruled our own kingdom or when someone else ruled our own kingdom before you and I came to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says this in verse one, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in once you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse three, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, there was a time we followed exactly what the world was doing and we did the things that pleased our own flesh. But then it says that God did something amazing. Verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ for by grace you have been saved. That is the message that Jesus commissions his disciples to go out and proclaim. That there was a time that you and I were committed to a different kingdom. There was a time that you or I committed to a different king. But when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, it is his kingdom and he is the king. It changes everything. That should be true of us today too. Now go back to... Luke 9 again, look in verses three through five because he's gonna give them some instructions. In verse three, he says, take nothing for the journey. In other words, they're not supposed to put all this planning in. All they're supposed to do is respond to what he's telling them to do and leave the little things to him. He's gonna take care of, of all the incidentals and the provisions along the way. In verse five, he says, sh- it says, shake off uh, the dust from your feet. You know, the rabbis used to teach that, the, that you were supposed to you know, come to the end of the city when a, when a town rejected you. You were supposed to come to the place and, and so symbolically shake off the dust because you were not supposed to bring the dust of the unfaithful and mix it with the dust of the faithful. Now, I say all that and I just wanna say this. Do not weaponize that statement. And and hate people that disagree with you or people that have not responded to the gospel yet. Jesus in Matthew chapter nine felt compassion for the lost because they're like sheep without a shepherd. If that's the way he feels about it, that's exactly how you and I ought to feel about it, period. Now look at verse three through five, he makes it clear that this is a short-term assignment. And Jesus doesn't want stuff to be a big issue And so he sends them out with almost nothing. They don't have any money. They haven't brought, you know, a blanket to sleep with. They don't have a bag for any of their stuff. They have no place to put bread if they brought a little piece of bread or or something like that. They have to trust God. And I will tell you that I'm thinking you're probably more a lot like me on this one. When I go someplace, I make sure that there's gas in the car. I have a, a route that I'm going to take. You know, I've usually got, you know, a couple of pillows and things in the back. I mean, I... I try to think things through like, you know, what would happen and what do I need to do and stuff like that. He is deliberately telling them, don't do that. The only thing I want you to be worried about is speaking for me. That's it. Let me tell you how really ironic this really whole thing is. He gives them the authority and the power to heal and cast out demons, but they have no idea where they're gonna sleep or what they're gonna eat. They go out having all sorts of questions. 
questions he's not gonna give them the answer to right now. They have to have faith. He's calling them to speak. That's not a small thing. You know, to get to speak for the Lord is the most important assignment that you and I could ever get. Romans chapter 12 tells us that, you know, how will people hear unless they hear the gospel? How will people hear unless people, you know, speak the the words of God and the truth of God? The answer is they won't. For whatever reason, God has, has set it up in a way that you and I are supposed to go and we're supposed to tell the story. I know, some, you know so many people say, well, can't I just look at nature, you know, and that's enough? Listen, I fully get it. The book of Psalms tells us that, you know, we can look at nature and see the glory of God. We can see how amazing God really is. But let me tell you what you can't see by looking at nature. You cannot see the fact that God the Father sent his son Jesus to die for your sins on a cross and that you need to be right with him by looking at a sunset. It's amazing uh, what a, a spiritual picture it is. I did my undergrad in San Diego and everybody would go down along the beach area and stuff like that. They would, you know, they would, they would go and they would uh, like go to Sunset Cliffs and there'd be like hundreds of people out there and it was like this, this spiritual moment and yet it's missing this deep truth. Seeing the, the, the majesty of all that happens remind us, yes, God is awesome, but you need to know how to know him. That's what the disciples went to do. They went to speak. They were commissioned to go speak. That was their calling. It wasn't a job, it was their calling, and it's our calling as well. This wasn't an easy assignment, but it wasn't gigantic. It wasn't undoable. Whenever God calls us to something, he equips us to do it. Now, the third thing you see here is the model. Look at verse six. And they departed and went through the villages and preached the gospel and healing everywhere. In other words, they go and they preach the gospel and leave the results to God, and that is the model. Just go speak and let God change hearts. We don't make Christians. The Holy Spirit does that. Our job is to, in love, share the the good news of the gospel. The fact that there is a God that cares deeply about us. So just like the the 12, we're supposed to go speak and trust that God's word will do enough. And it does. Isaiah 55, 11 tells us that his word never comes back empty. It tells us that it it will accomplish what he purposes. It shall succeed at what he wants it to do. And that is exactly what happened. People here were, were healed, they were helped, they heard about Jesus. That's the model. That is exactly the model that that these pallets will do. That is exactly the model that that team will go out and do in Uganda. They'll just tell people about Jesus as they do it. You say, well, how how do we do that kind of stuff? I'm not going on one of those trips. How do I, you know, get on mission? It starts with a, I'll make it really simple for you. It starts with a conversation. A simple conversation. Just maybe with your neighbor, maybe with a coworker, maybe with you know, someone your kids play ball with or, or something like that. Just have a simple conversation. And in the midst of that conversation, you know, ask them how they're doing. Now, I know that most people, I, I'm sure, I mean, like me, if somebody asks me how I'm doing, I don't care. I could be you know, bleeding out of my ears. I'm probably going, oh, I'm good. 
You know, I, I, I'm very seldom honest about those kind of things. But I mean, you know, at some point, if you continue to have real conversations with people, they'll tell you, ah, you know, got a sick kid right now, and, or it's not going good at work. There's some issues there. Listen, here's what you do. At the end of that conversation, go, hey, listen, I'll, I'll be praying for your kid. I'll be praying for the thing at work with you. And then just end the conversation. And then pray for it. Don't, don't be a hypocrite. Pray. But then next time you have a conversation with him, just say, hey, how's your kid doing? How's that going? And they'll tell you. And you've just opened the door to live on mission. You see, you've taken it to another level already at that point. That's how the conversations start. God can use us that way. Now the fourth thing, the final thing you see here in verses seven through nine is the mystery. The gospel here is an amazing truth, but the mystery here is that some receive it and some don't. I mean, I've lived through that. When I was, you know, 14 years old, I got invited to go to a meeting, you know, by some friends. I showed up at, the, at this high school meeting. It was a campus life meeting. I really didn't know what that was, uh, Youth for Christ organization. And, and I went, and there was a couple of hundred high school kids there, and this guy gave the gospel, played a bunch of stupid games, and the guy gave the gospel. And I remember, you know, my heart was pounding and racing, and, and the guy just simply said, hey, if you want to make this decision to follow Christ, I just want you to come forward. And I'm thinking to myself, I am not coming forward. And then I just started walking. And I'm like, thank you. you know, I mean, I, and, and no one else did. No one did. I mean, I felt like every eye was on me. Uh, you know, I, 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 don't, I, I couldn't explain it. It made perfect sense to me. You're a sinner. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, it's true. I'm not perfect. But there's a God who loves sinners if they simply trusted him. That's what I wanted. I, I, I remember looking at my friend asking, did you not understand what he said? I don't, I don't know. But two weeks later, he prayed to receive Christ. Why mysteriously things work like they do, I, I can't tell you that. I can tell you that we need to keep continuing sharing the true story and let God work. Verses seven through nine say this, and it says, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed. In other words, he's, he's a little bit confused, he's a little bit concerned, he's maybe even a little bit afraid because you know, he says over here in verse nine, John, I beheaded. Didn't I take John's life? Didn't I have his head cut off? How could, is this, is this him again? Now he's interested in seeing Jesus. Yeah, it, there's a mystery to it all. But my role is simply to tell the story. To trust that when God calls and he has called, he will equip and he'll send me. Just like the pattern here. Every one of us. You know, I'm gonna ask the worship team if they'll come back and, and join me. Um, this morning, we're gonna be taking communion. And um, you're probably gonna see, if you didn't grab one of the communion things that are they're up back there, and you don't see one maybe in the aisle there in front of you, uh, will you just slip your hand up and somebody can grab one of those for you and, and get you one, including me? Could you throw me one? <laughs> Thank you. That's helplessness. 
Um, it's communion. And uh, let me, I, I want to share something that, that the Apostle Paul writes about communion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this is what he says in verses 27 and 28. He says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a person examine themselves and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Okay, let me explain what he's saying there. God wants you to take communion. But before you do that, he wants you to deal with who's the king of your life. Who's, who rules over your heart? Who calls the shots? Because it's supposed to be him. And once I make that peace, when I come back to that spot where he rules, then I'm supposed to take it because I remember all that he has done for me. I remember that he shed his blood for me, that I will be in heaven in glory with him because of what he's done. And so I'm gonna ask you to take a moment where you're at, do some business with the Lord. A little self-examination. Who rules your kingdom? Who rules your heart? This is the time you need to get right with the Lord. I don't know how to say it any differently than that. Because he's the one that wants to rule. Would you take a moment, quietly, just you and the Lord? Paul writes in verse 23 and he says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Be thankful. Father, we love you. Pray that you would rule over every thought, every decision, every step that we take. We, we submit to you, God. We trust you. We, we know that you love us enough to adopt us into your family, enough to send your son to die on a cross for us. We want you to be our king. We pray that we can declare that for your glory in Jesus' name.
Listen, there's gonna be some people that are gonna be down here that would love to be able to pray with you if you need to pray with someone. There's an area back in the back there with a team back there called Follow Jesus. If you'd like to know how you could personally walk with Jesus and know him as your Savior and Lord, please stop by there. But let me just say this. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who created all things, who sustains all things, fully expects to rule over our lives. Okay, it's time, it's time we let him rule. This week, as you go out, let him rule your words, your thoughts, your motives, all of it. Let him rule over it and see how God will use you. He's called you, he has equipped you, and now he's sending you out. Just like he sent the 12, he's sending you out to speak for him. Watch what God does. Love you all. God bless you. Have a great day today.